Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode two of It's a Trap. I'm Cam. I'm here with Dave. And today we have... I'm very excited about what we're talking about today. Mm -hmm. Dave, who and what are we discussing in this episode of It's a Trap? Uh, We are discussing the character Norman Bates from the movie Psycho. How many times have you seen this movie, do you think? How many times do I think I have seen this movie? I've probably seen this movie six times. I watched it for the first time <laughs> this morning. I finished it maybe an hour ago. So uh, I'm all giddy with excitement about this movie because <laughs> I thought I knew what the movie was about. And I thought it was going to be like a like a horror movie a la Scream. You know, just lots mm-hmm. of blood and guts and people dying. And it's not. It's really stressful. Like it is a suspense film through and through. Yes. Um, so I'm really excited to get uh, talking about it. So let's just dive in and do that because, well, I want to. Sounds good. All right. Uh, so some quick facts about uh, the movie Psycho itself. It came out in 1960, and it is, of course, uh, a Alfred Hitchcock film, which is pretty obvious from the get-go. Uh, it is based on a book that is based – Dave just told me this before I started recording – based on a real person – which makes this whole thing even more creepy than it already is. <laughs> um, now, it stars uh, Anthony Perkins as Norman Bates, Janet Lee as the poor shower scene girl, and then Vera Miles as her sister. And Janet Lee did win a Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actress. It was, a, it was nominated for four Academy Awards. Didn't win any of nope. them, though, which is um, yeah, kind of surprising. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know what movies it lost out to, but I probably should have looked that up because... Well. I'm going to come out right now and say I really, really liked this movie. <laughs> it was not what I expected, and that, that was a very good thing. So, Dave, would you mind telling our listeners uh, a brief overview of the plot? Sure, and uh, kind of interesting that uh, for our second movie, um, <laughs> it has a bit of a dark side just like our first movie. A bit. And it's got a kind of a twist to it. So... If in the last 55 years you have not watched this movie, um, we are going to spoil that. And this is one of those movies that is, I'm realizing hearing Cam's excitement, you know, I kind of grew up knowing what this movie was. Um, uh, yeah, my parents let me watch things when I was little that, well, I should say my dad. <laughs> I, won't, I won't do that to my mom. My dad let me watch things. I probably shouldn't be. Um but the the overview uh, is basically a secretary steals uh, $40,000, and she goes on the run. Uh, while she's uh, heading out, she stops at the Bates Motel, where she encounters Norman Bates and his mother. Uh, while she is there, she dies. And the police investigate and uncover the grisly truth about Norman. Yeah. So, she She chose poorly. She did choose poorly. So before we before we start talking about Norman, I, I had this this epiphany while I was watching the movie. Like you feel bad for this girl because obviously she met a very gruesome and untimely end, but at the same time, she did steal forty grand yes. and try to run away with her lover. Yes. So while I feel horrible, at the same time, it's kind of like if you hadn't have done that, you never would have died. Yeah, that's that's fairly, it's like a moral dilemma. Yeah, you know? and that's Hitchcock is good at that. In addition to the suspense, he always kind of has a underlying moral story to it. All right, so let's talk about the movie first before we dive into the character of Norman himself. What did you like about the movie? Uh, one of the things that I enjoy about it is just the simplicity of the story. There's, it just seems to me um, that. In today's day and age, especially when something is based on a book, they feel this obligation to give all this backstory, and it seems like they go on tangents that really are not necessary. And this, to me, for the most part, moves pretty straightforward. Um, anytime there is a backstory or something that feels like it needs to be added, it seems like they do a little like two to three minute narrative that kind of clues you in. Uh, as to what that's about. Now, that's not necessarily, I don't necessarily care for that mm-hmm. in terms of, but but it just seems, it, it, it keeps the movie moving forward and it kind of makes you go, oh, okay, that's why 
uh, Norman is the way he is or whatever. So it, it fills in some loopholes with that. So that was what I, I enjoyed was the simplicity of the story. And then ultimately uh, the musical score throughout the movie is, is phenomenal. It's so good. Um, I think anybody is familiar with the shower scene where uh, she's stabbed and what the, I'm not even going to try to mimic that on the podcast, but um Everybody's familiar with that. And, you know, even <laughs> when you come across somebody that acts psychotic, you make that noise and you hold your hand you know, up like you're slashing somebody with a knife. Uh, but throughout, it just adds to the tension. It adds to the suspense. And it's really one of those where um, this time when I watched it, I was very aware of it because of what we're doing here. But if you're not paying attention, it definitely adds to the atmosphere of the movie. Yeah, and it, I mean, it starts with the credits. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember uh, as soon as I hit play, I was immediately like, ooh, I'm intrigued. Because the visual of the lines and everything kind of shifting, mm-hmm. it, I mean, that emotes a certain dissonance just visually. Like, and, and it would say like Alfred Hitchcock and like the middle would shift off. You know, and it wouldn't ever really quite fit in all the, the different lines. So that was already kind of preparing you for something that's not going to make sense. So there's, there's always going to be something slightly off mm-hmm. about what's going on. And then you add to that, the music for the intro and you're immediately just kind of like tense mm-hmm. and throughout the whole film, the music does a great job of making a seemingly normal scene feel very uncomfortable. And it reminded me of what the walking dead does now where like, for instance, in this movie, there's a scene when um, our main female character is packing. She's about ready to go on the run. And while she's packing, they they pan to the envelope of money. They pan to her face. You can tell that she's uncertain. And that's 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 fine and okay. But what really sells that whole like two-minute long scene where there's no dialogue at all is the music. You just mm-hmm. feel like someone's going to break out and kill her right then and there, even though <laughs> all she's doing is packing. Yes. Um, and The Walking Dead does a great job of that now where they can be – you know, all having a good time, but because of the music and because of the way that it's shot, you're like, your shoulders are tense <laughs> and you just are waiting for something horrible to happen. And I, I felt that way this whole movie. Mm-hmm. And you combine that with the, the plot and the acting, especially um, for uh, uh, Anthony Perkins, the guy that plays Norman Bates. I mean, it just everything about the movie, just you're just like, what's going to happen next? <laughs> Something horrible is about to happen. And it's because the score is just so stinking good mm-hmm. at pulling those emotions out of you. So I, I could not agree more with you. I thought the score was incredible. It made the movie, uh, I would say, probably exponentially more intriguing. Because the movie by itself, the plot is... It's not slow. It moves quickly. You want to you want to get to the bottom of it, but the the score just sends it over the top, and it yeah. was just incredibly good. Um, some other things that I liked about the movie, um, I thought the house that they chose, like up on the hill, always in the dark with like mm-hmm. the, I mean, it just the way that it was shot and the use of, bl- <laughs> of of black and white film, and uh, it was just so. Good and and I mean we'll get into more specifics later, but I thought the combination of the the score, the acting, and then the way in which it was filmed, because mm-hmm. I, I was even watching some shots and I'm like, how are they doing that? Um, like when uh, Arbogast walks into the house and he goes up the stairs, and the camera's there when he walks in, but then all of a sudden it like somehow follows him up the stairs and comes right above. How is that one shot? Like, is the boom coming from? It, it, it just I it was had to be. Yeah, I was in, incredibly impressed with some of the the shots and how they filmed them fl- uh, fluidly. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just got this sense of of it seemed to me just like a one fluid shot for a long time. Now, obviously, they 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 cut back and forth to different locations, but once you're in a location, it always seemed to me like one, maybe two shots. But it was just so fluidly shot that it it, it wasn't distracting. It was just helping you really get engaged mm-hmm. with holy crap, what's going on? Are these people gonna die? Who's it was uh so good. Yeah. So what didn't you like about the movie now that I've gotten all excited again? <laughs> uh the, you know, there really isn't a whole lot that I, I just I strongly disliked about it because uh Alfred Hitchcock is such a great um storyteller. Um, 
Should, I, we, should we say there's spoilers now? Yeah. From uh, now on? There, there's going to be spoilers here. Uh, Norman and Norman Bates and his mother, Norma Bates, are one and the same person in terms of who we actually see on the movie screen. His mother's long been dead, and there's while it's not directly uh, said in the movie, there's kind of an implication that he's used his taxidermy on her to preserve her. Um, and so one of the things I didn't care for was I didn't care for Norma's voice, uh, particularly because I don't, and I, I didn't really pay any attention to look this up, but I don't believe that's Anthony Perkins doing a female ver- voice. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's creepy old lady. And, that's what it sounds like. Yeah, and so uh, maybe that adds to the, uh, helps with the illusion of Norma and his mom being different people. And so it's good that it's done that way. Uh, but it just, it seemed, I, I just didn't care for it. I didn't see, I didn't mind it. I thought it was like, especially the last scene where he's sitting in the jail cell in the with jail. the blanket and she's talking. See, now that, that actually is pretty good. Yeah. That, that is was, good. I was like, Oh, this dude is like making my skin crawl. Cause, but I think until you realize that it's, and that's possible too. I'm coming from it with a different, you know? So like, yeah, if she's a real person, you're like, God, no one talks like that. Yeah. screaming all the time. But then once you realize that it's just his made up version of, and then you're like, okay, the weird creepy voice kind of fits. But I think it, it wasn't for me until the very end where I was just like, oh man, this is so weird. <laughs> um, but I thought I didn't mind the voice. But Yeah. And then I guess just the, the second piece is then anytime, um, you know, like uh, somebody comes to the hotel and the, uh, Norma, the mother, can be seen uh, walking in the window up at the house, and then Norman's running down to the hotel room. Well, there's really not enough change time for him to change from being Norma to going to Norman and being dressed like mother to now. And so it just seemed like there was a lot of quick just turnarounds on those kinds of things. But again, um, that's my hang-up in terms of it being more of a logistic, Could this ha- could that happen that fast where... Hitchcock is much well, more about maybe, telling his story. Maybe he has Clark Kent abilities <laughs> where he can just go from full suit to Superman in like two seconds. That's possible. <laughs> he looked like a rather spry guy. He did. And that was, uh, well, that, that was even kind of one of the things I think I liked. And well, I guess we, we're going to talk about that in terms of the character, not just the movie overall. So I'll wait till we get there with that. All right. So some of the things that I didn't like, really, there was only two things I didn't like. And one of them doesn't even count now because I've seen the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. So I wrote this down midway through the movie. Um, why does Norman cover for his mother? Because, and I guess we can talk about the shower scene now because that's what my my dislike is, is. So I went into this movie thinking the whole time, I didn't even know that Norman had a mom. Mm-hmm. Like I just, Norman Bates equals psycho. Like that's all I knew about it. And so I just thought the shower scene, he walks in and kills the girl. Right. And leading up to the shower scene, that makes sense. He's peeping, you know, through the hole. And I was like, you don't really have any motive other than this movie's called Psycho. So clearly you're psycho. Yeah. Um, but then you're in the shower scene and the shower curtain gets ripped open and it's Norman's mom stabbing, missing a lot, but still getting the job done. Yeah. And then all of a sudden Norman comes running, you know, down the, uh, well, there's a few moments, um, in between that, but he comes back down and realizes what's happened and then he covers up for his mom. Yeah. Like really well, like Dexter style. Well, and I'm like, what are you doing? You like, why are you covering up for your mom? This makes no sense. Mm -hmm. Are you that like under her thumb that you would do whatever you can to protect her? And so that was like, I don't like that. But then obviously you get to the end of the movie and you realize why yeah. he's doing that. Um, so while I was watching it, I didn't like it. But then at the end of the movie, it's like, oh, that makes total sense. He's <laughs> covering for himself. Um, and then the psychiatrist at the end, he has like this what, seven minute, would you say five to seven minutes? Yeah, it's quite lengthy. Like essentially monologue explaining pretty much the entire movie. Right. And um, the reason I didn't like it is it seemed way too um way too much mm-hmm. at that point we all kind of know because we, we the scene before that is uh oh what is her name is it lila i can't the remember the sister the sister yeah 
Um, no, I don't remember. Anyways, she walks down to the fruit cellar and finds, and she's like Mrs. Bates, and she taps on the shoulder, and then this corpse just magically rotates with no eyeballs, and it's creepy. And she screams bloody murder very well. And then all of a sudden running through the door is Norman in full granny garb with a knife, and Sam comes in and saves the day. Um, so you kind of realize all in a matter of like 10 seconds that She's been dead this whole time, obviously, because she looks like the Tales from the Crypt guy. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what it looks like. And you see um, when Sam kind of stops Norman, the wig comes off and the the granny uh, onesie, like Moo Moo, yeah. yeah, comes off and you see the clothes he's wearing. So within, within five seconds, it all clicks. The mm-hmm. mom's been dead forever. Norman's a schizophrenic psycho he's got multiple personalities he's been acting as the mom he actually killed the girl in the shower he did all of it but just didn't realize you know when he's norman that he's so he's totally lost it Mm -hmm. but then the psychiatrist feels the need to go on this five to seven minute rant explaining everything that we already know right now the things that that are important that he says is that you know Norman is essentially gone that the the made up personality of the mom has pretty much taken over so he's fully lost it like he's cuckoo um but other than that I don't really know why he needed to explain everything Yeah I, you know I I guess I kind of chalk that up to uh there really had never been a movie like this before this movie and so for 1960 I'm sure there was a lot of uh, wanting to kind of just say, I I felt like it was almost kind of justifying the movie. Mm -hmm. Like this isn't just something, you know, it's not just crazy. It's not just psycho. It's there's, there's science behind this. There's a reason for why somebody would behave this way, which kind of legitimizes the uh, whole movie. Yeah. yeah, For, you know, 1960, I was not alive in 1960, but, um, you know, I would imagine. Well, I just there there wasn't a whole lot before this. I mean, a, a scary movie was The Wolfman or Dracula or Frankenstein, you know, or The Mummy. Uh, so it, it wasn't about um, and and, and that. Well, but this is scary in a different way because those right. movies are scary, but they're fantastical, right? Right. We know that that zombies don't exist. We know yeah. that Frankenstein was made up. You know, and it has been a book forever. We know that Dracula, even if he was based on a real person, was you know, hundreds of years ago, this was like scary and a whole nother, like normal dude down the road that has a motel could be major, major creeper, Mm -hmm. which is way more scary because it can. And by the way, does actually happen. Yeah. The the, the infamous, he was a great neighbor. I would have never guessed he could have killed somebody. He kept to himself. He was, you know, had such a nice manicured lawn. You know, you think about those quotes that you get on the news when out somebody's yeah, and a killer. You would know, wouldn't you, Dave? Yeah. Not not so. that you're one of them. You're a police officer, so you probably should preface that statement with yes. Dave Dave deals with that stuff professionally. Yes. So anyway. But yeah, I mean minus minus that one not even complaint, just one like, eh, I wish they would have done it differently. the movie was incredible. Mm-hmm. It was so well done. Yeah. All right, shall we? Shall we move on to our main subject today, sure. Mr. Norman? I have serious issues with my mom, Bates. Yes, he does. I I, I dare say he was hugged too much as a child. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what makes Norman Bates such a intriguing character? I mean, this movie is fifty-five to depending on when it was released, fifty-six mm-hmm. years old yeah. as of talking now right uh, older than both of my parents mm-hmm. um so but this movie has staying power yeah i mean it, i just watched it for the first time and it still was like man that's probably one of the best movies i've seen period definitely within the last couple of years but probably easily in my top five mm-hmm. um and i've seen a lot of movies most <laughs> of them crappy but um so what 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 gives this character norman bates that staying power where even today he's still so um, intriguing as a character. Well, and I think we, we touched on the first part of this in uh, a little bit about who he is. And he's, he's just a, he's a charming young man. And uh, you know, he, he um, when he c- comes to check the guests into the hotel and he's just kind of got that, um, 
you know, skipping his, jumping his step and he's smiling and just, just seems to be very, you know, he loves life. Um, he's lanky, you know, there's this kind of awkwardness about him. He, uh, is a good looking guy. He smiles just that boy next door. And then, you know, kind of even maybe what you were alluding to it a little bit with where you didn't like the fact that he was covering up for his mother, you, you, you kind of, you feel sorry for him throughout the movie. Um, clearly he's stuck in this motel in the house, taking care of mother that's elderly. Um, he's in a hotel, uh, where they've moved the highway. Uh, and so no longer does, you know, kind of, a uh, implies maybe a, um, a route, uh, route 66 type thing. Uh, the Eisenhower interstate system has come in. And so, uh, people don't pull off the highway to the smaller places that they used to. And, so it's a lot like cars is what you're saying. Yeah, it's a lot like cars. Yes, exactly. <laughs> he's he's in, uh, I can't remember what that was, something Springs. Oh, Radiator Springs. <laughs> Radiator Springs. Yeah. Uh, but but so, so he's a likable guy, and I think we feel sorry for him is, is one of the reasons why you get sucked in. Because you're not, you're not watching the movie even 55 years later going, well, he's the one who did it. Uh, so that, I, think, I think that's... Yeah, I, w- I didn't reach the he did it point until very, very close to the end. Yeah. Um, because you're just like, no, there's too many other... No. The movie does such a good job of keeping you off balance. You might have guessed it going in, but there was not enough in the movie to go that he definitely he's mm-hmm. his mom's been dead and he uh, dresses in her clothes and kills people. Mm-hmm. Like you might have an idea that he's involved, but to your point, yeah, he you feel sorry for him for most of the movie because he just seems kind of like a guy who just never really took control of his own life, you know? Yes. Um, so one of the things that I like about him is that like to you, like he's a likable guy, but you can tell that something's off mm-hmm. the way that, you know, he stares a little too long. Um, the way that he smiles awkwardly, like he doesn't know what to do with his face. Um, some of the questions he asks, like very blunt and you, you can, he, he just seems socially awkward. Yeah. Like he I grew agree. up with his mom and didn't have any friends yeah. type of awkward, you know? Um, so at that point you're like, well, the movie's called psycho. So he seems a bit off. And so maybe he's the bad guy, but if the movie had just been named like Bates motel and didn't already give you that something's crazy here. Kind of, you just think, Oh, he's just kind of a weirdo. Like he's a nice guy. He brings her food. He gets her, you know, all that sort of stuff. He just, probably socially awkward but because the movie's called psycho Mm -hmm. you're kind of forced to be like man something's not right with this guy i just don't know maybe you know maybe he is the bad guy but then again the shower scene twist and the mom's the psycho one and he's just trapped under her you know thumb and so you kind of spend the next maybe 30 or 40 minutes feeling bad for him. Like you said, he's, he's not the bad guy. He's socially awkward because his mother has trapped him in this place. But then there's this quote. There's this, I think is the most telling quote in the whole movie. And I'm going to jump ahead because it's the only quote I wrote down. He's talking with, um, the main lady and I can't remember her name and I'm really feeling bad about that because she did a really good job. Her her real name is uh, is Janet Lee. She's the one that won the Golden Globe for best. I just can't remember her character's name, but she was really good in the film. Um, but anyways, the quote. So they're talking in the parlor, and uh, he says, "You know what I think? We're all in our own private traps. We scratch and claw, but only at the air, uh, only at each other. And for all of it, we only budge an inch. I mm-hmm. was born in mine. I don't mind it." Yeah. And he said that, and that's when I was just like, "Wait a minute." Like it's such a if you if you look at that quote after watching the movie, that explains everything about him. Yeah, he was born in it, but he doesn't mind it. It's a it's a uh, private trap because no one knows the real truth. He's hiding it really well, and then he says he doesn't mind it. Like it's okay that mm-hmm. I'm a total nutcase. <laughs> I I kind of like it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just I just found uh, Anthony Perkins to be incredible. Yeah. 
in this role. I mean, just his, his, his facial features, the way he positions his body when he's awkward. Like, I mean, everything about him is so believable and you can kind of see the inner struggle where he's wanting to be nice and good, but then doesn't know how to handle himself. And then like, there's a scene where, uh, where, um, he's covering up the murder and he's putting the car in that gross, nasty swamp and the car stops. Yeah. And he kind of like has like a momentary panic and it's really funny because he's sitting there just like biting his nail, watching with like kind of sick pleasure and that stops. And you like for a half a second, you see him just like panic comes across his face and then you hear the car coming down again and he goes like just, just little stuff like that I thought was, is what makes him such a intriguing and likable yet hateable type of, I mean, he's, Mm -hmm. you want to like him because he's so likable which is a stupid thing to say i really you, you right. like him because he's likable but at the same time you're just like you're just drawn to him he's charismatic i guess is the best way to put it yes uh marion is the name of the marion and then yeah. i'm pretty sure the sister was lila lila okay yeah. yes marion and sam and lila yep and then the detective with the crazy name the private eye oh like abrogast <laughs> or something like that i don't know uh, I didn't really care for him, but <laughs> all right. Is there anything else about Norman that, that really stuck out to you or that makes that you think makes him? Well, and, and I think we've talked about these a little bit. It, the character is one of the first of its kind, you know, there's really never been that kind of a, a horror story. Um, you know, I'm just even thinking about the whole fact of the, the crime, the murder that we get to see him commit. Uh, you know, it's a woman in a hotel in the shower. When are you, you're the most vulnerable when you're in the shower. And I bet before this movie was created, you know, if you, I don't know this for a fact, but most horror movies I'm aware of prior to 1960, you know, the person has, has entered into the haunted castle or, you know, they're in the graveyard or they're, you know, they were, they're not supposed to be. And this is a, uh, here she is in a hotel in the shower when you're just, you know, you're most vulnerable and. Uh, I know there's a lot of people that probably because of this movie, they've never even seen it. Some of their greatest fears is being alone in a house, taking a shower and it's because of this. Uh, and then ultimately there's a, the the twist and the, and the way um, Alfred Hitchcock reveals the twist, much like our first movie that we uh, talked about. Uh, a twist is good um, when it's a true twist. You don't see it coming it's not overhyped and you, you find yourself going, Oh, I, I didn't expect that. So those are, those are my things that, that why I liked uh, this character. All right, Dave, what are some of your favorite quotes from the movie? Uh, well, uh, he takes, as you mentioned, he, he makes Marion uh, a sandwich and then uh, there's a parlor that's in a room off of the, office for the hotel or the motel. And, um, so they go back in the, the, the parlor to, to eat. And, um, as they go back in there, there's a bunch of stuffed birds and creepy. Yeah. And so he basically, you know, he, at one point he makes a, a comment of my hobby is stuffing things, you know, taxidermy. And it's just, and again, it's Anthony Perkins pulls it off. Mm-hmm. It's there, there's just this quirkiness about him of, um, but boy, there's a whole lot more involved in that, isn't there? Well, and he even he even gets into details. It's really not that expensive. It's just you know sawdust and uh, uh, needle and thread, mm. and it goes really the chemicals are the only thing that actually cost you much. Like way too much information, dude. Yeah, exactly. So that was that was one of my uh, favorite quotes, and uh, a second one was um, well. Um, I think this is just kind of sums up the movie in Norman's state of mind. A boy's best friend is his mother. Yeah. Says a grown man. Says a grown man. I love my mom, but no, she's not my best friend. So, <laughs> um, and then referring to his mother, he says, uh, she's as harmless as one of those stuffed birds. Which it, in hindsight. Yes. Again, a lot of parallel and very revealing foreshadowing and. Because uh, she's dead. Yes. Yikes. So, and then, uh, I don't know, this one is, 
I, nothing profound about it, but it just kind of made me chuckle. And it was one of the few moments, uh, I think, in the movie where um, it, it kind of has the dramatic sort of, like if you could have had a dun, 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 yeah. <laughs> this, that would have come after this. And it's uh, the... the, the uh, I'm drawing a blank the sheriff. here. No, it's, I know it's a sheriff, but... Um, Sam, the sheriff, his wife, and Sam, and then Lila, yeah. and Lila are at the sheriff's house mm-hmm. uh, after hours, where you know it's kind of uh, uh, Andy Griffith ish and Mayberry, and he's the sheriff in a small town, and mm-hmm. the, and they're there like at his home in the middle of the night, and he's still in his robe, and his he's wife in an awesome robe, <laughs> and his wife is in her robe, and um, you know they're they're kind of starting to put two and two together, and the plot thickens at this point, and. Uh, he makes the comment um, that well, we've we've learned that uh, we learned the backstory that um, Norman's mom Norma was poisoned. In addition to her being poisoned, it's Norman's stepdad that is with her when she's poisoned. Yeah, the the story is that um, well, at least what the sheriff tells Sam and, and Lila is that. Uh, she had kind of gotten together with this guy. And then when she realized that he was married, she poisoned him uh, and, then, and then suicide. And then suicide. So it was a murder suicide. So that's what the story is. And they're both buried in the in cemetery. cemetery. And then Sam and Lila are saying, well, we just saw this elderly woman at the home. And so the sheriff says, but if that woman up there is Norma Bates, who's buried in Greenville cemetery. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Yeah. So, and again, uh, kind of a, I don't. I won't say it's foreshadowing, but uh, a little bit of okay. There's more to the story. There's well, yeah, because I'm going on here. I'm watching the the movie, and we get to this point, and I'm just like, we got to be coming up. And then you look at that. There's 30 minutes left, and that's uh, yeah. I did the same and, thing, <laughs> and that's not a bad thing. No, no, no. But no. you're just like, holy crap, what still is going to happen? Yeah, like you, there really is so much more to the story, and it wasn't like, oh, there's a half hour left. I have to keep watching. It was, oh my gosh. What plot points are there still to reveal? Like this is going way deeper than I would have thought. And and I I say this with trepidation because I don't really know, but it's like an hour and forty eight minute movie, which to me seems like a really long movie for back then. I don't I don't know what I'm basing that on, mm-hmm. but because I don't have not really seen a whole lot of movies from back then. But that I mean, that's kind of a long movie today. Yeah. That, yeah. you know, as long as it's not like Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings or Star Wars, like these right. epic fantasy things. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, it's it's not a short film. No. And it's interesting that you say that now because I think we even kind of made a little bit of the, the mistake in terms of, like, we started it thinking, oh, this will be over quickly kind of a thing. And there was, because we watched it at night. I watched it with my girls. And it was, um, I think at one point, they were kind of like, we're ready for bed. <laughs> <laughs> But then they then they realized, oh, there's more to this. Like it's not just Norman Bates. Like there's more to this. And they were both like, oh, we can't go to bed now. We got to we got to figure this out. We got to see this. So, all right. Mm-hmm. It's just so good. So many, so many things. All right, Dave. So some of my favorite scenes involving mm-hmm. our famed character here is uh, well, this this one's involving Marion. So she's on the run. She wakes up in the car to the cop knocking on her windows, freaking out. She goes and trades her car out, like all this super weird flighty stuff. And, and then, um, she's clearly, you know, distraught cause she thinks she's going to get caught and everything. And then this, it just starts pouring rain. She can't see, she can't see, and you know, it's coming, but it's still a great reveal. And all of a sudden as, as the camera's pointing out of the car in the pouring rain, just Bates motel and neon mm-hmm. lights up. And I just thought it was an incredibly good way to reveal what you know is coming. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of times in movies where you know something's going to happen and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, it happened. But this one was just like, you can feel her her stress. You can feel that she's panicking. The storm is there. And then just kind of out of the storm, this this rescue, this oasis in the, in the storm is the Bates Motel. And you know immediately like, oh, no, keep driving, keep driving. <laughs> don't do it, don't do it. Um, I just, I loved that scene. I thought it was great. And then Norman comes out. And totally not what I pictured him to be. Right. And so I just, for me as a first time viewer, not knowing who Anthony Perkins was, what he looked like, just the reveal of the motel and then him being this kind of like goofy next door neighbor boy 
mm-hmm. boy, man, but right. was just was so not what I expected. I just thought it was a really good reveal in a, in a great way to to usher in the next you know act of the movie. Uh, I really liked it. I thought it was really well done. Good. Um, yeah, um, you know, obviously we've um, hit on this one as well, but the shower scene, uh, very very well done in terms of. Uh, typical for the the period in that uh, you don't have to see a lot to know what's happening. And I think that's one of the places where storytellers today have failed or have gotten lazy is that um, they show it and it's usually blood and gore and very gratuitous violence and things like that. And yeah, if this movie was made today, there'd be full frontal nudity. Yeah. And that wasn't in the movie. And, it, and, and it wasn't necessary. You never see her get stabbed. Uh, it's black and white. Uh, I can't say this for fact, but I want to say the blood in the tub is actually like her chocolate syrup. Um, it was something like that, you know, and uh, so being black and white, it didn't have to have all the blood and the gore and, uh, but it's still very, very effective. Uh, people know that scene. Uh, they know her face and the scream in the shower. They know that the the sound. And uh, like I like I said before, uh, it, it translates to uh, fifty five years later. People probably uh, pause when they're alone in a certain situations in the shower. And I think that movie in that particular scene is part of that reason. Yeah, and and I think I I mentioned this earlier the 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 part where you see the door open from inside the shower, and then right before the curtain gets pulled away, you realize, oh my god, it's a woman because she got like the old lady hair and bun. Yeah, and to me, I was just that that really turned my expectations for the movie on 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 its head. Like I was that totally threw me for a loop. I was not expecting it to be Norman's mom that wound up killing her in the shower. I never knew that. Yeah. Um, so that to me was just made the scene even more um, memorable and iconic was because it is an iconic scene because just of what it is. But then there's that twist of who the crap is that? I thought she was this little old lady who couldn't get out of the house and now she's stabbing people. Like mm-hmm. it, it really made me start thinking and trying to figure out what was going on. So yeah, I mean, it's just one of the more, more iconic scenes i think in film history yeah i think you can go to tgi fridays or somewhere like that where they have the flare on the wall and that's one of the pictures they will put on the wall is her face screaming in the shower well you got to give it to them those her and her sister both scream quite quite convincingly um okay so we talked about the parlor Mm -hmm. i just my reaction when they he invites her back in the parlor, which is already super forward and creepy anyways, and he turns the lights on and it just shows you all of the dead birds like in sequence. Yeah. I was like, hmm, foreshadowing much? Like yeah. this there, something is not this is not a normal thing to do. Well and and she even calls it a hobby and he's like, No, 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 it's not my hobby. Which is just like, oh <laughs> it just gives you the heebie jeebies. Yeah, and uh you know I I don't know. Is was it, you know, for 1960 for a man and a woman to be alone in that situation in the parlor? Well, but he he does invite her into the parlor because it's not appropriate for him to go into her hotel room. So he does show that's what I'm saying manners. But at the same time, it's like you brought her into this creepy freaking room. Yes. Yeah. And then there's you got the little peephole. You're just like, oh, maybe he's just a, maybe he's just a, you know, like. Freak and not a psycho, like because there's a difference there. Maybe he just you know likes to see naked women and, and doesn't right. want to murder them. Well, I think you. This is one of the notes that you actually had. Was he he as he's reaching for the keys for the room, he kind of reaches for other keys and then he comes back to room number one, and mm-hmm. you're like, well, room number one's right next to the office. He's obviously yeah, and there you're you're not surprised at all that there's a peephole. Yeah, but even just even the way that that was acted, yeah, he he goes home and get your key and he goes to like three or four and then you see him like pause. And his hand, like almost uncontrollably, goes to key number one. Um, I thought that was a very, like, not super subtle, but not blatantly obvious move. Like I thought that was really well executed. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's when you kind of know, like, okay, there's there's more to this guy. That the, uh, the feeling I have of him being not quite right is now justified, and that yeah. only gets increased when you see the 
birds in the parlor and you see him peeping through the hole in the wall while she's getting ready to shower and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, that whole, that whole sequence of her arriving and then her dying is just really, really, really well done. Yes. Except for the part that she dies, you know, that then you have that terrible. moral dilemma of, well, you did steal 40 grand, which I think you put in our notes is like $320,000 today. <laughs> yeah. And, and interestingly enough, um, I, I don't even know if they describe who the guy the guy is buying a house for his daughter who is getting married and they are in Phoenix, Arizona. Yep. And he's basically paying forty grand cash, cash. for a house for his daughter, which is equivalent of three hundred and twenty thousand dollars today. And he's and he, he seems to be like a Texas oil type that, guy. Well, even that's even though could, they're in Phoenix, he, yeah. he has that the oil. stereotypical Big oil Texas type personality with the hat and the bolo tie and the suit jacket and all that stuff. And he's hitting on Marion and all that stuff. Yes. But they are in Phoenix, yes. Uh, and while we're talking about uh, Marion and the office and stealing all that money, uh, one of the unique things about um, uh, Alfred Hitchcock is he makes cameos in quite a few of his movies. I, I was under the impression it was all of them, but no, it's not all of them. And his cameo in Psycho is when she's coming back uh, from having been with her boyfriend and she's coming back to work. Alfred Hitchcock is actually in the window and he's got a cowboy hat on in the window. So Interesting. Yeah, so that's where his cameo is if you were um, wondering. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then $320,000 today, which, uh, you know, I guess one of my questions would be... Um, you know, I've I've always wondered what, what like what would be my what would I be tempted by what would be enough for me. You know, as we're doing this Powerball tonight is approaching a billion dollars. I've seen like eight hundred million. I've seen nine hundred million. Oh my god! And you know, all these different people are like at work or who you ever encounter is like, well, I, you know, I do this this, and I'm like, you know, if somebody gave me one point six million dollars right here and now, I'd probably retire because that's you know, more than I'm probably going to make over the course of my career. And so I just think it's funny. Um, but would 320, you know, be enough? And I guess if you're running away to be with your lover and you're a single woman in 1960, that would have been very... Well, and that's the kicker is it's 1960. Yeah. If it was today, not a chance because the surveillance and the tracking like back there's no cell phones back then she was able to buy a car and trade it out in 2 minutes yeah like, they don't switch the tags the title's really not an issue there's no cell phone to tracker there's no there's not to my knowledge very much satellite surveillance going on yet <laughs> like none of that stuff you yeah. know what i mean and there's no internet and there's no quick communication between police precincts across state lines because everything's telephone at that point and even that you got to go through the whereas nowadays yeah. It's a lot harder to steal that kind of money and just disappear. Yeah. If you're going to disappear, you're going to need at least a couple million. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, not to not worth it. So, that was that was just a little bit, you know, even though it was 40,000, which translates to 320. Yeah, I was just a little bit like, hmm. I'm not sure that would be enough for me. <laughs> or but you made a good point with the technology and everything. All right, Dave, I got a question for you. Yes. So we've covered two characters thus far. Mm-hmm. Kaiser Soze and Norman Bates. Yes. Which do you like more and why? Uh, I do. I like Norman Bates better. Um, I think, again, the uniqueness, uh, being kind of one of the first of his kind, um, the fact that he is loosely based on a real human being, um, you know, in 1960 and Norman Bates, uh, the idea of a serial killer is not, you know, which is what Norman ends up, ends up being, uh, not that I admire <laughs> serial killers, but, um, I, I think just the uniqueness of this character, um, and the staying power of it. And like we said, it's, it, you know, we've used the word iconic to describe it. So I would have to say that's, um, one of the reasons why I like it better. And you, uh, that's a toss up. I think for a number of reasons, because I, I mean, I really liked the Norman Bates character. I thought that Anthony Perkins did an incredible job, um, with it. Um, but I also love, 
Kaiser Soze because, especially for the the um, the interplay between him and and Chaz Palminteri, uh, mm-hmm. Agent Kuyan, who says, "I'm smarter than you. I'm going to figure it out." And he's just toying with him the whole time. I mean, he uses the stuff on the billboard to make up stories. Right. Um, sorry if you skipped episode one and listened to this one. <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, so I th- I think I like Kaiser Soze a little bit better simply because he's just messing with people mm-hmm. and he gets away with it and yeah. he's smarter than it. So like, I, I like them for different reasons. Um, and I think that the conclusions kind of are naturally derived from the storylines. Um, but there's, I mean, there's that sort of Hitchcock like twist in usual, uh, usual suspects as well. Um, I just, I just like the fact that, that Kaiser Soze he's sarcastic and he's, he's pretty much, taking advantage of this other guy's cockiness. And so I, I like that more. And, you know, um, he's not based on a real person, so mm-hmm. that's good. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, they're they're I think we started off with two very strong, memorable movie characters, which was, you know, what we want to talk about. So absolutely. Yes. We're not going to talk about Mugatu from Zoolander. However funny that might be. You don't even know who that is. Do you? No, I don't. Have you seen Zoolander? <laughs> I've seen Zoolander. It's Will but... Ferrell's character. Yes. Anyways, uh, so you have a question in here. And, I do. Uh, I think it's an interesting question. Yeah, it. Um, I was just wondering if this role negatively affected Anthony uh, Perkins' acting career. Did he get labeled as Norman Bates? And was it difficult for him then to become uh, more of a leading role type, which I think he had that sort of charisma about him that he could have been. Mm-hmm. So I just, you know, uh, he, he was definitely a successful man. I don't think, uh, it prevented him from being successful, but ultimately he ended up doing, um, I think 20, almost 20 years later, a little bit more than 20 years later, ended up doing psycho two and psycho three. Okay. I wondered about that. Cause I, I rented this show or uh, the movie on iTunes and then, you know, in related movies, there was psycho two and it looks a whole lot like, so it is, it is Anthony Perkins. Yeah, he did. And I want to say it was like late seventies, early eighties. Okay. And then psycho three was late eighties. I believe that's correct. Uh, I didn't spend a lot of time on it, but it just seemed like it's, you know, um, it just seemed like he got pigeonholed in terms of, um, Uh, Mark Hamill and Luke Skywalker. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, he did do well. I think he, um, was on Broadway and did well on Broadway, but it just seems like his movie career just didn't quite. And I, I didn't spend a ton of time, uh, researching this, but he never, I mean, Anthony Perkins, you know, him as Norman Bates. There's really not any other association that I think anybody makes with him unless they followed his career or something. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'd never heard of him. Like when I looked at you know the IMDb stuff and it was mm-hmm. you know the three or four main actors, I was like, I've not heard of any of them. Uh, but that may be more a reflection on my knowledge of movies of that era than anything. So, uh, what's your official rating of the movie, Dave, or of Norman as a character? I should say. Uh, he, for me is a five out of five. Um, I just, again, yeah, it's, it's to me, it's iconic. And, uh, just, just seeing your response, having seen the movie for the first time today, uh, solidifies that for me. Uh, the second thing I'll say is, is my 15 and my 19 year old daughter did watch it and they both thought it was good. Um, my younger one thought the, uh, grandma, what she called the grandma in the basement was a little bit hokey. Uh, but I said, trust me, 1960, you're sitting in a dark movie theater. You, first of all, you wouldn't have even been watching this movie at 15 years old. Yeah. Uh, second of all, it, yeah, it would have probably scared the bejesus yeah, the out of value you. back then. It would have been much greater than it was today. So it's a solid five for me. Yeah, I, I agree. I, it's five. He's five out of five. He's very, very, very good. Uh, movie character, um, just lots of layers and um, just really well pulled off. I'm 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 now probably going to go on a Hitchcock binge. Yeah, Hitchcock. Um, I, uh, Psycho was, and that's the other thing. For as, as successful as Alfred Hitchcock was as a filmmaker, 
Psycho was his commercial success. I mean, that's kind of his... Which is funny because in the research I did, he had a really hard time getting a studio to back the film. Mm-hmm. There, it was too risque. Mm-hmm. It was too... Um, dark. It was too all of those things, and he had a, apparently a really hard time getting backing for the film. And yeah. then once he did, it blew up. And it's, I mean, yeah. And I, again, I probably should. <laughs> it's always funny when we sit here in front of the microphone and you start realizing, well, I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure about that. Um, he had already had some of his uh, better known movies were finished by the time um, uh, Psycho. Uh, came out. The Man Who Knew Too Much, uh, Vertigo, North by Northwest are all um, Hitchcock thrillers. Uh, and his career as a movie maker or having involvement in making movies goes all the way back to the 1920s. So he he had a, a very long career and a very impressive career. All right. Well, any other thoughts, Dave? Um, I think that is about it. I think, uh, it's, it's, this is definitely worth a watch and really, um, any of the, the, any of Hitchcock's movie, Alfred Hitchcock's movies that uh, you come across are worth watching. And, um, he just, a, a very, very clever mind in the way he puts a story together and, um, is very good at the, the suspense and creating, um, you know, I even think about the movie Birds, uh, you know, taking in every, you know, something that we deal with every day and making them just absolutely creepy and it, it and just being very effective at it. So um, I guess those are my final thoughts there. All right. Well, if you want to take a peek at our show notes where we'll have links and all that good stuff to what we've talked about today, you can go to supermegacorp.net slash trap slash two because this is episode two, and we'll have all those waiting for you there. And if you want to get in touch with us, we are, uh, well, you can email us at thesupermegacorp at gmail.com. And we're on Twitter, too, at underscore supermegacorp. So reach out if you have thoughts or if we said incorrect things, or if you really like this movie, we'd like to know. So I think that's it for episode two, Dave. That's it. All right. See you guys next time. Adios.